All right, welcome back to the channel today, ladies and gentlemen, where we are going to be focusing on this debt apocalypse, which is emerging not just in the USA and UK and Europe, but globally now. And I thought this would be a fitting topic today to go through some visual aids and other things because I don't know about you, but I much prefer to see things visually than I do just to hear about them. But I thought it would be a good time to talk about this because of what's happening in the US with the debt ceiling, which always gets raised, by the way. I think it's been about 78, 79 times now. And every time they think it's not going to get raised and then it gets raised. So we're not going to focus really on the debt ceiling, but we will focus on the debt and the aspects around it. But just a quick recap, if you're new or you haven't seen any of the other videos on this, what actually happened was during 2020, 2021 in, in particular, a huge amount of new currency, not money, but currency was created. What this did was expanded the pool of currency in existence. Asset prices as a result increased to reflect the new amount of money that was in both circulation, uh, banks, at the central banks, etc. Now, people tend to love it if you own a house or you own stocks or you own assets when this quantitative easing and, and other measures take place, uh, government creation as well, because people get richer or they feel richer. However, this is where the snag is now coming in, in the form of quantitative tightening or simply a credit crunch as we know it. We had one in 08, that was the big credit crunch, the Great Recession as it's known now to historians and economic historians. But the real problem though is that as these interest rates are going up and the tightening is taking place, this puts a huge amount of pressure, not just on companies, but also on government funds and of course families. I've got to mention you, of course, families as well. But what's happening with the government funds and the government debt now is GDP is just exploding. And as a result, it's costing more to service that debt, which is ironic for places like the USA because a lot of the debt is owed to the Federal Reserve, a private institution that is owned by shareholders. So the government, or we should say the people of the US, for example, owe the money to a private institution, which is the Federal Reserve. And we still today don't even know who the shareholders of the Federal Reserve are. We have a good idea. I mean, it's pretty obvious in, in some regards, but you know what happens to channels that actually talk about this or people that talk about this. So I'm not even gonna go there. I think many of you know who owns these shares at the Federal Reserve already. But that is the irony of it anyway, getting back to the point, is that all this debt is owed to a private institution which created the debt out of thin air in the first place. It's, it's insane that this exists and the people allow it. But uh, anyway, let's go to the shared screen today. We've got a lot to go through. Let's start with this article then on CNBC. Then we've got a lot to look at in terms of some of the infographics. But let's start here then with this headline, global debt nears record highs as rate heights trigger crisis of adaptation. Right, so what are they talking about here then? They're saying the combination of such high debt levels and rising interest rates has driven up the cost of servicing that debt. And this isn't just for governments, this is also for families. You're seeing now, I mean, I always try my best to warn people and explain that 
you know, it's fine to take on a little bit of debt during the good times, but if things do turn around and go negative, you can very quickly find yourself in trouble, which is why it's never good to take on too much debt if you don't think you can service it. So what we're now seeing is these concerns about leverage in the financial system at close to $305 trillion. This is the global debt level. It's $45 trillion higher than it was in 2019 and is expected to continue increasing rapidly. Now, what does this lead to? It leads to, well, when you expand the currency supply, it leads to more inflation. And yet they're still perplexed by where this inflation is coming from. Uh, the global debt pile grew by 8.3 trillion in the first quarter to a near record high of 305 trillion. I mean, that is absolutely enormous to raise it uh, to that sort of levels. The US Federal Reserve early in the month lifted its Fed funds rate to a target range of 5 to 5.25%, the highest since August of 2007. Now, again, the reason this makes me smile, I guess, um, when I hear that is that the debt is owed from the government, thereby public debt, so it's owed by citizens, to the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve gets to dictate what the interest rate is. So the debt level that they're holding on behalf of the citizens, they set the interest rate on it. Just a, a point to note there. With financial conditions at their most restrictive levels since the financial crisis, the 0809, a credit crunch would prompt higher default rates and result in more zombie firms, already approaching an estimated 14% of US listed, okay, keyword here is US listed firms. I mean, that is staggering. So 14% of the market of these US listed firms are already zombie firms is what they are saying. This is only going to end very badly. What else have they said? Aging populations, rising healthcare costs, and substantial climate finance gaps. Yeah, well, if we have time, we'll come on to exactly the, the report that's just come out, which flies in the face of this, um, if we have time later on, are exerting pressure on government balance sheets. National defense spending is expected to increase over the medium term due to heightened geopolitical tensions. Well, a point to note straight away is who is creating the geopolitical tensions in the first place? I think we both know which would potentially affect the credit profile of both governments, so they're not saying who, but it's the US and China, it's pretty obvious, and corporate borrowers. Now, another interesting line is this here, total debt in emerging markets hit a new record high of more than $100 trillion, around 250% of GDP, up from $75 trillion in 2019. But in developed markets, Japan, the US, France, and the UK posted the sharpest increases over the quarter. Given the central role of regional banks in credit intermediation in the US, worries about their liquidity positions could result in a sharp contraction in lending. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that before, and it will definitely be for households and businesses, because what are we seeing highlighted here? Small businesses are collapsing at a scale we've never, or a rate we have never seen before in modern times. So what is this gonna do? It's gonna cause higher default rates and more of these zombie companies. But where are these zombie companies? 
they think a substantial proportion of these are in healthcare and IT sectors. So that is something for you to pay attention to and look at your liabilities there. But for those people who keep saying, and the analysts, that rates are gonna come down, they say this every month, it makes me laugh. Um, Dallas Fed President Logan says current data doesn't justify pausing rate hikes yet. So it's looking as though the analysts are going to be wrong again with these rate drops because the most likely thing that's going to happen at the next meeting is they simply pause on the rates or if we have a sort of wild card like uh, the Dallas Fed is talking about here, we could see another 0.25%. I wouldn't bet on that. It's probably gonna be a pause in rates, but we'll see. So this is an infographic of the debt ceiling. Interesting what they've chosen to use here for the uh, um, visualization, but okay. So we can see just how rapidly this has grown. You might think, oh, this is over 50 years or something. No, no, this is 2010 here, and then it just goes through the roof all the way up to over 30 trillion, 31.4 trillion now. And it's ironic that it started in 1970. We know exactly what happened in that period there with the gold uh, de-pegging. And ever since then, we've just seen just craziness throughout the financial sector, which I've said a lot of times, I'll say again, is not sustainable. Eventually this will collapse. And I think we're probably in the final innings of this situation now. But this is interesting as well. This is the debt to GDP ratio. And you actually look at it since they de-pegged and you see where it went to even 2010, 92%. We're now at 129, well, as of 2020, 129% debt to GDP. And the probability of a US recession as of April of 2024, so just less than a year, is now up to 68%, so pretty high. The US now has higher credit risk than Mexico, Greece, and Brazil. And we've talked before about who actually holds all the US debt. There's your biggest holder, Japan at 1.1 trillion, China at 867 billion. So they are some of your biggest, and the UK 655 billion, Belgium 354 billion. And if you want to look into this any further, you can go on to visualcapitalist.com. It's very useful for actual uh, visual people to actually understand debt levels and finance a lot better. But one thing I find quite interesting is that the United States is only one of a handful of countries actually has a debt limit alongside Denmark and Kenya. But you also have Pakistan, EU, Poland, Namibia and Malaysia, but they do it as part of um, a percentage of their GDP. But in particular then, let's just look at the debt clock, one of my favorite things to view. Uh, 31 point almost 8 trillion now debt per citizen at almost $95,000 debt per taxpayer a quarter of a million dollars and you can see 120% US federal debt to GDP however we that's just the federal debt but let's take this forward 4 years to 2027 and let's see wow 42.7 trillion dollars is expected to be the debt, 122,000 per citizen, 308,000 per taxpayer. And what do they think debt to GDP will be in 2027? 
146%. But what about total debt then? Well, gosh, it's so big, it's almost off the scale at 116 trillion. And that's why I always say, this is never going to be repaid. Doesn't matter how you look at it, it will never be repaid. A little more then on the total debt. If we look at this chart here, which is actually sourced from the Department of the Treasury, we can see US national debt exceeds GDP. And you can see that this has been happening for a while now, actually, when we actually look at debt held by public and intra-government debt as well. But it was only 26.1 trillion as of the fourth quarter of 2022. So it is growing rapidly at the moment. A lot of this money is being wasted as well. You've probably seen the same reports that I've seen. Just the other day, we saw what happened with the uh, missile system. How many hundreds of millions of dollars was that that was wasted in the, uh, you know, in, within two minutes? So who owns the US public debt then? Federal Reserve banks, 20%, 59% other public investors, $18 trillion, Social Security, 9.2%. But really, let's just focus on this. Today, the Federal Reserve System is the single largest holder of US government debt, which they created out of thin air and now charge interest on. It is just absolutely staggering because servicing the debt that was created out of thin air is one of the federal government's biggest expenses. It is absolutely staggering how much they spend on servicing this debt. Now, if we look at the sources of tax revenue, again, this is predominantly USA here, but we look at where this comes from, it is individual taxes. 42% comes from individual taxes, 23.8% social insurance taxes, 16.6% consumption taxes, 11.4% property taxes. Are you getting the idea now? And people say to me, tax isn't too bad in the USA. Really? Okay. And people talk about the OECD area having high taxes. Well, you look at this in terms of the United States here, individual taxes compared to the OECD. You look at property taxes, it's double. It's actually double the OECD. And this gives us a broader spectrum looking at other countries as well. And by the way, people always ask, Neil, can you tell us where these articles come from? If you look in this box here, I always leave the link in so that you can actually see where the sources of this information. Now we get down to the United States here. Look at this. This is crazy, this dark blue bar. It's only New Zealand, Iceland and Denmark, which are really on par with the USA. Now, finally then, I just wanted to mention this report that's just come out and it's called Politics Over Pensions, the first annual report card on investment fund managers and proxy voting behavior. It is very interesting and worth a read. ESG isn't an investment strategy, it's a political agenda. ESG is being used to hijack shareholder voting. Investing with ESG depresses return. These are all the things I've been saying for two years now without having done a very detailed report. So this came out from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Um, one of these guys is Steve Forbes that you can 
see here. So what have they actually talked about them? Well, they've given an example. Shareholders propose that Costco adopt short, medium and long term science based greenhouse gas emission reduction targets inclusive of emissions from its full value chain in order to achieve net zero emissions. Now, Forbes and more ask, what does this have to do with selling groceries, which is a key question. Because remember, companies are in business to make a profit. Now, I do agree that they have some moral obligations as well to the public and to making sure they're not damaging the environment. But this this report is quite useful to know who is on board with actual sustainability aspects versus people who are just ticking the boxes in terms of going with along with all of the ESG. So E is the environment, S is the social, and G is the governance aspect. So they analyze 40 of the largest money managers. And out of those 40, only four earned an A, which is basically saying they were voting against ESG offerings and instead voting based on what would bring the best Return. So that's only 10%. Now, you, you don't need to be a genius to do the math on that. That means 90% then of these funds, many of which are looking after your pension or your investments, are voting based on ESG offerings as opposed to returns. So it is worth you actually looking into this, seeing which ones, in fact, I'll give you the, the, the information on which ones here, because if your returns are going down or you're losing money, there might be a reason for that in this report. Now, they focus quite heavily on Vanguard, saying that it you know, got a lot of slack about this, saying that they were driving it and stuff. But this report saying actually Vanguard withdrew from the $59 trillion net zero asset managers initiative. And we've talked about this part here, the $150 trillion UN initiative, and this is GFANS. I did a full report on GFANS. So here's how they looked at it and graded it then. They gave these ones here, so there's only four, they gave them a grade A, which is that they were actually investing based on return and not ESG. Dimensional, Vanguard, T. Rowe, Price, and Fidelity. Now, all of them below here, so that is your BlackRock, JP Morgan, etc., Goldman Sachs, they got a C or D rating, meaning that they were investing based on ESG or as this report details, politics. And then these were the absolute worst who got a D or an F rating here, including UBS and Deutsche Bank as well, who got an F minus. Well, that's all we've got time for in today's show, but I look forward to seeing you all tomorrow on the weekly walk and talk. Take care. God bless. I'll see you then.